This is the Dallas Morning News. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Dallas Morning News. Ready for playoff season? Eagle Steel is. Our steel is sharp as blades, tough as nails, and we're ready to fight alongside Dallas hockey for the win. Choose Eagle Steel. Contact us today and let's build something great together. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals Evan Grant and David Moore. And we're all over the map today, boys. Uh, let's see. David's back at the home base, manning things there, uh, making sure that we're not invaded by marauders. Uh, meanwhile, Evan is in Seattle with the Rangers, and I am uh, in Arizona with the wife. Uh, I'm, I'm tagging along on a uh, a realtors convention type thing here, so it's uh, been really ex- exciting here. That's good. Boondoggle written all over it, Kevin. Boondoggle. Boondoggle. Yeah, here was the thing, too. It's one of those deals where, you know, uh, she had to pay for all this. It's just astronomical sums, you know, for to have somebody tell her, you know, oh, these are the things you need to do. Uh, it's like, well, she's already doing those things, but I'll, I'll, I'll play the game. I'll move along. I'll be a team player. Always a team what, player. What are you and the other spouses doing today? <laughs> Dropping by the, the Cactus Museum or what's Oh, no. I've just been hanging out around the pool. doing. You know, uh, I'm finishing up this project that my daughter signed this up for. Uh, that's a story, wor- uh, story worth. Have you seen that kind of stuff? And you write, they send you questions, then you answer them, and then they put the whole thing together as a book uh, at the end of it. Um, and, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it is a cool thing. Have it a fun it's exercise? Just, it was pretty fun. Uh, it just got to be uh, every Monday they would send it, and then I would I would skip a couple, and then the next thing I know, there would be eight questions piled up. And it was very oppressive uh, to, to have to deal with that. Um, but, you know, it's a nice thing, and, and uh, it's nice that she, uh, my, our youngest daughter, is the one that wanted us both to, to do one. And so I'm, I'm way ahead of Debbie. Debbie's very uh, uh, mad at me that I am going to be finishing mine up she's she's not going to be finished so that's but, okay though. but is it true your daughter said dad why does mom write so much better than you <laughs> here's here's the thing about that david they'd have to read my stuff first to know how i write <laughs> no i get that <laughs> yeah they're not they're not reading any of that stuff you know they're just like, everybody like my family. Else. did you hear about that yeah i wrote <laughs> about it last week thank you <laughs> I get that. Yes, I get that occasionally too. Wow, Dad, did you hear about this? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact. Uh, so, I about the okay. internet about when I get home. By the time I get home from the ballpark, and Gina says, "Well, how did the game go? What'd you, what, uh, how was your day?" And I basically say, "Listen, there is a thousand words online right now. If you want to read everything that took place during the day." She's just trying to make conversation with you. Uh, How how far has that gotten you? 
What's not really good? Hasn't really not had the effect that I was hoping it would have. <laughs> no, no, I don't know why you thought that would be happy. Evan, uh, you had a real adventure. You uh, you went to a clown wedding uh, on the beach, no less. Uh, you want to tell us about the, the the clown wedding? Big clown energy. We let me tell you something. Uh, clowns can drink. I am telling you, there was a lot. There, there was a, there were some really big red shoes to fill at that clown wedding when it came to drinking. There was a lot of alcohol um, taken in. Let, let's just start with the activities of the wedding. There was a first of all, the wedding itself was on Cinco de Mayo, um, which ought to tell you something, considering that was a Friday. So they they uh, uh, planned it to land on Cinco de Drinco. Um, the rehearsal dinner was not actually a dinner, but rather a get together at a tiki bar outside behind an RV park at Pensacola beach. Um, the wedding then took place at a, at an outdoor facility that is its normal, its normal, um, function is as a bar and restaurant that also has a go-kart track zip lines putt-putt course and um an obstacle course um we got there for the wedding a storm was coming in so they immediately shuffled us all to the indoor covering area for a little bit which is basically a uh, another large tiki hut with some uh uh some plastic stripe striping down the side uh, and it included a fat Tuesday. So everybody started loading up on frozen drinks before the wedding. Uh, then we hustled back outside for the, uh, for the service. There was no juggling at the service, but there was in the post-party celebration the next day on the beach. Uh, Kevin, you've seen the juggling take place at, at weddings as, as, as an observer. Um, it's, a, it's a great family tradition. And all I can say that is that after all of this took place, these this three days of just nothing that I would ever like envision, you know, your traditional wedding. Uh, it was just a great, great weekend. Everybody had a great time, a lot of fun. Um, and uh, no, I did not zip line, nor did I get shot out of a cannon. I, I avoided both of those, but it was a great wedding. And uh, my hat's off. My big clown hat is off to Daniel and his bride. Uh, Lindsay. May, so, may I ask uh, one question? Actually, I, I have just, more than one question. But well, I was going to say one? before David does, I was just going to say, who's doing the documentary on this, Evan? I. It really would be. It, it would have been a great show, man. It, it really should have. I should have just had the camera running nonstop and uh, uh, given it over to producer Christian, and I think he would have turned it into uh, something special. Did the ceremony conclude with the words, I now pronounce you clown and wife? <laughs> no, of course. This, uh, as, as you know, my cousin is like me of the Jewish faith. So after the wedding was concluded and they were standing there on the, uh, on the sand, um, it was not a clown rabbi that married them. It was, it was a, just a regular. They scored each other with flowers. Did they do that? They did that, but they did uncover a big wooden plank on the sand, and then uh, we uh, we they did a shot of tequila, and then the tequila glasses 
were put into uh, a bag and they stomped on it and we all yelled "Mazel clown. Mazel clown. We did yell oh Mazel clown. So that was, that was the big Jewish, the big Jewish edition oh. of the wedding. Um, and you know, you, with those big red clown shoes, you could really stomp <laughs> on the glass. Oh man, I'm thinking this is if if not a documentary, this is at least a Seinfeld episode, which I, I think I might have I've seen it. As a matter of fact, come to think of that, so you have to have some video on your phone, right? Uh, the only video I've got right now is my 70 year old cousin and her husband juggling um, pins on the beach, uh, which I I don't know if I'll post or not. So I've seen them juggle. They're 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 quite the team. Quite the team. They are good. All right. They are good. They are good. All right. We, the we also stopped at the Floribama, Kevin. We stopped at the Floribama Lounge in uh, Perdido Key, one of the all-time great, great roadhouse dive bars in America. Sits literally on the Florida-Alabama line. Um, and so Gina and I went and had lunch and a cocktail there, and that was that was great. That place has been knocked over by hurricanes, I think three times and rebuilt time after time after time. And it is everything you would imagine a roadside beachside bar on the Florida, Alabama line would be. We, we just didn't get to be there for music and we missed the annual mullet toss by three days. Oh my gosh. That's awful. That's awful, but it was close anyway. Well, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate everybody coming on uh, to talk about uh, writing our what stories and clown weddings. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about. Everything else is anticlimactic, right? You know, just Rangers winning, and Cowboys and Stars losing. Nothing nothing really kind of comes close to any of that. So. Put those no, in your Monday no. we're, we're gonna We're going to talk about this stuff now. We're going to talk about those old Rangers who just – Keep on winning. They 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 don't have a closer. They don't have a real closer anyway. Uh, they're they're down at least one starter, and they just keep on winning. Uh, it's pretty remarkable to to watch this team uh, and and do and what it what it's doing, going out and and losing that first game to the Angels. The bullpen blew that lead. Just just an awful game to watch that uh, close out. And you would think, oh, this is going to have some really uh, significant impact on this team, the morale. Then they go out and win the next two games, just stomp the Angels in those last two games. And I guess it was, what was that, the uh, ten to one and uh, eighteen to eight or whatever that. What was that last game? Eighteen to eight on Sunday. Yeah, just un unbelievable. Uh, the Rangers are putting up uh, historic numbers, as a matter of fact, in their scoring this year. Of course, Tampa Bay still number one in, in baseball and in, in scoring, but, uh, the Rangers are, are right there behind them. So pretty remarkable. So Evan, let's talk about first of all, the pitching because, uh, uh, in the first game of that series against, uh, the Mariners, as we're taping this, John Gray had some rough starts, his last three starts, and really kind of expressed a lot of frustration with himself and his inability to command his pitches, Went out and just pitched a, a great game uh, in the opener against the, the Mariners. It gave up just one run, a home run, and, uh, and then settled down and, and really pitched well. So, Evan, tell us a little bit about what John Gray did to kind of get himself straightened out uh, and uh, and how this rotation is going to set up now with Jacob DeGrom out for Lord knows who long. How long? Who long? How long? Yeah, but I think – I think as much as anything, what John Gray did last night to get himself straightened out was get himself in a 
in a pitcher's duel with a guy who had a perfect game going. Um, it allowed him to stop thinking so much about what he was doing on the mound and what he was feeling and whether or not he was falling off or, or jumping in his delivery and just allowed him to focus on competing. And that was really important. I think, I think the biggest thing is there's times when John Gray can, can think a little bit too much on the mound. And when you can get back to a point in, in, in place where, you know, you are confident in your stuff that you can go out and, and just compete and it's just you against the hitter, um, you can be much more effective. What we saw last night was a much better slider than he's had, um, and he really relied on that last night. I think he threw it 36 times, the most he's thrown it this year. Um, uh, just got locked into a game with Logan Gilbert where he knew he what he needed to do was find a way to get out. But I do think a big part of all this, Kevin, is that the pitching staff in, in large is following the lead of Nathan Uvalde here. I, I think Nathan Uvalde has basically given a statement that with Jacob deGrom out, he's willing to take this, this, this pitching staff and put it on his shoulders. And he's responded with 20 consecutive scoreless innings. And I think the other guys are, are kind of following suit in terms of, hey, let's not worry about anything else but going out and doing our job. Um, we've got We've got some – some bricks to carry here and, and they are doing that. So uh, I don't know when DeGrom is going to be back. It certainly appears he's not going to be back on Sunday, which would be the first day he'd be eligible. He hasn't thrown off a mound yet. There isn't a plan for when he'll throw off a mound. Um, I tried to stop him yesterday to get a update on the situation and he didn't seem to be terribly interested in providing any updates. So, um, for the foreseeable future, they're going to have to get by with what they've got. And I think, I think Uvalde, look, one of the re, one of the things the Rangers thought when they signed Uvalde was that they signed a legitimate number two pitcher with, with who has the ability to lead most staffs. And he has taken that on in, in the absence of, of gray Dane Dunning, who has stepped into the rotation as the fifth starter, just picked up exactly where he was in the bullpen with five scoreless innings. So, I don't know how long how long Degrom is out. Certainly, the longer you're without Degrom, you're 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 without a a real weapon. But uh, in the short term, at least for for the first two turns through this rotation, they're figuring out ways to to stay in games. Yeah, they are, and uh, I want to talk about uh, Evaldi a little bit because you know he's an interesting character. Uh, I know he's had some injury uh, issues in his career, uh, but he's always been very effective when he pitches are usually is, is, is pretty effective and, and he's a great guy. I didn't know anything about him personally, you know, before he came to the Rangers, uh, but you know, just a great guy, uh, uh, you know, very is ready to talk about anything. He's, he's very much a leader in the clubhouse. Uh, and I think that the, you know, obviously the Rangers lacked that uh, before and they're getting it from any number of people on the team now. Uh, and and he has won. But what's striking to me is that you look at his career and how many teams he's he's pitched for. You know, he's pitched for one, two, three, four, five, six organizations uh, now. And I don't yeah. understand why a guy of his caliber uh, as a pitcher and as a person and as a leader in a clubhouse has moved around so much. Well, I, I think a big part of that, Kevin, is that 
you know, he's always been a guy who was attractive to teams early in his career um, as a trade piece. But I think there's always been the concerns about injuries. And so that's led to the lack of long-term contracts. It's led to teams getting frustrated in, with the amount of time that he's missed. And, and so that's the, you know, that's just kind of the recipe for a guy moving around a lot. But I have been really impressed with his his presence in the clubhouse. You know, you, you, you say they haven't had a leader. Listen, I think different guys lead in different ways and, and they're all different. They're all different components. But I do think when you've got a guy who is willing to overtly say um, or, or be an extrovert in, in some of these matters about, hey, you can talk to me, you can come to me, you can, you can ask anything that you want, um, and let's walk the walk. When you've got a guy like that, it's an asset. And, and it is something um, that while the Rangers have had other guys who I think have, have helped lead that rotation, uh, to different extents over the years. They haven't had a guy who's been as kind of outgoing um, and, and and team focused as Yavaldi is. And I think, I really do think it works well. And if you, if you get a situation where you've got DeGrom out there um, every five days, you've got, you've got a pitcher who excels at, at his game. He is as good as any pitcher on the planet, but you've also got a guy who brings that rotation together and helps them function as a unit and I think that is that is a huge, huge asset when when all those pitchers are working together. Yeah, uh, for sure. Now I, I'm I'm going to just go out there and say that I don't I wouldn't expect uh, Degrom to get back until June. I think they're just going to be really conservative with him, especially if they're if uh, if Dane Dunning is pitching fairly well and the rest of the rotation is picking things up here. Um, I think they're going to be very conservative with him at this point, uh, given the. He just there was just something popping up constantly uh, so far, uh, and so what do you think about that timetable? I think that's all fair to say, and I think look, as long as they're playing with house money right now and are out leading the division, um, they are going to be looking long range as well as short term, and and that means you know they want to have a healthy Degrom for August and September and potentially for the playoffs and. So, you know, you don't want to get too cute here for sure, but they are right now in a situation where Dane Dunning has pitched much better than I think they would have imagined um, coming out of the chute. Uh, and he's carried that over the rotation. And if they can get by with this for a while, yeah, I think they're going to err on the side of caution with Jacob. Um, I think it's good, for, it's good for the long term, as I mentioned, but I think it's also good to maybe give him some peace of mind that, hey, this club is going to take care of him. They're not going to push him. They're, they're, they're going to do what he needs to get to a place where he's comfortable and where he's healthy. So, you know, in the spring, the theme seemed to be that, uh, well, the Rangers no longer would need to, to count on so many young guys like they had in the last few years and pushing some guys uh, faster than they should have. Uh, i.e. Leody Tavares, uh, a guy who never really put up numbers in the minors, and yet they they uh, sent him out there in the big leagues, and he performed about like you would expect for a guy who hadn't really performed in the minors. Uh, and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, young guys uh, two months into the season are, are pushing their way into the, to the lineup. And some of this is out of necessity, of course, Ezekiel Duran. Um, but I don't. I think he's performing. 
far beyond what we would have expected of him. And Leone Tavares, he's had his hot streaks before, uh, but he's obviously uh, performing very well uh, at this moment. And so, Evan, tell us what uh, maybe the Rangers have done to uh, to help speed along that process a little bit, especially especially with Leone. Well, I think with Leone, you know, they they made some changes here in the last two weeks to uh, to kind of get his foundation a little bit more athletic. He had kind of drifted into a, a a stance that was a little bit more upright, and it wasn't allowing his his legs to get into the swing as much. And also, you you know, in talking with with him yesterday, he, he, it kind of took his eyes to a place where he was seeing a bigger strike zone. And because he was seeing a bigger strike zone, he was chasing more, particularly at the bottom of the zone, which has always been an issue for him. By getting him crouched a little bit more, it, it kind of shrunk the strike zone a little bit, and it's allowed him to kind of focus his eyes a little bit higher. At least that's the operating premise that, that they that they're working under and the theory that they're working under. And look, the, the last three weeks have been outstanding. I when I looked at it yesterday, you know, you, you took out the first week because I think when they called him up it was a little bit premature because he had basically missed all of spring training. But you took out that first week. Uh and since then he's he's nine fifty OPS guy, hitting three fifty on base percentage four hundred. He has, he, he's hitting the ball harder than he's hit it in the past. Um, it's a good stretch. I will say this, Kevin. You know, last year he came up in the middle of June. You take the first week of kind of acclimation, and then he rolled off another great month, um, even better than, than the numbers that he's put up so far here. And, you know, over the course of time, it kind of drifted. And so – the question is going to be, is this sustainable? Can Leody do this long term? Um, I think the difference here now is that if he doesn't, you know, the Rangers are going to have options to pick from. Um, if he does do it, you know, at some point in time, maybe Evan Carter becomes the left fielder. Um, if he doesn't do it at some point in time, Evan Carter is going to potentially replace him. And, you're now looking at a possibility with Corey Seager pop probably back sometime early next week, maybe as early as the the Monday of the Atlanta series. Um, Zeke Duran has pushed his way into the starting lineup, and he's going to get significant playing time. That probably comes either at left field or with some DH at bats when Seager gets back. But you are looking potentially, you know, if you start to look down turn down long-term a little bit, you're looking at a potential possibility of, of some riches with Garcia in right. And if Tavares can, can make this sustainable and what Duran has shown you with how hard he hits the ball. And listen, I, I can say that about Ezekiel Duran. I, I, I think there's going to be some ups and downs and I think there are going to be some points in time where he does chase a little bit and, and, and is going to have to hone that a little bit. But he hits the ball really hard. The ball comes off his bat at a different rate than it has for most rookies that I have seen come through here in a long, long time. So you factor all that in and you add in what Evan Carter is doing at AA right now. And the possibility exists that the, the outfield, which has been such a, a black hole for the Rangers for the past few years, could actually be a, a real position of depth 
um, certainly by the end of this season. Yeah, I'd like to know why the Yankees gave up on Zeke. Uh, you know, because he, he obviously does show the ability to hit the ball really hard. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to me, that was the deal. Between him and Josh Smith, it, I, I just never thought there was a comparison. You know, Josh Smith is a really nice little shortstop, and that's pretty much what he is to me. You know, he, he's got almost zero pop. He doesn't make that much contact for that matter. Uh, and he got knocked over by a ground ball this year. So, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, I'd like to know what the Yankees were thinking when they gave him up because he looks like a real prospect. Now, I, I agree. I think he's going to be a little streaky. He's He has a completely different kind of swing from uh, from Adolis Garcia. But, I, you know, I think he's going to ride the roller coaster a little bit like, like Adolis does. But that's okay, you know, because in the end, the numbers are going to be very good. Uh, and I, I do think that, you know, what you get from, from Zeke now is you see that he can play shortstop. He's, he's not a great shortstop, but he's better than I thought he would be. Uh, and, and he certainly handled that position on an interim basis uh, with Corey Seager out. And that, that may be a continuing thing. Uh, that's certainly Seager's history. Um, and then he can play left field. Uh, and as you noted, and, and you've noted – continuously they've really struggled getting any kind of production out of left field they struggled this year for that matter even though Robbie Grossman has been better than what they put out there it's still not good they're like what 27th in the league in production from left field uh uh or in baseball from left field so you know I I do think that they are are getting some real production now you know from him from Josh Young from uh Leote and, and center field I, I've I've said for a while now that they can get by with Leote, you know, not being a great offensive performer if they're getting a lot of production out of left field and right field. Uh, and they are getting that. And now Leote's hitting too. It just feels like everything is coming together for the Rangers. And, and it's why I pushed so hard for Chris Young to, to make moves, to bring in a closer, to bring in another starter. Because when you're this close and it just seems like you are at least as good as the teams in your division, if not better, uh, right? At least right now, uh, then then you have to 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 make those kinds of moves. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to be. I think at some point in time, Chris Young is going to have to, you know, address the bullpen situation. And I, uh, I, as I've said on more than one occasion here already, you know, I I, I think that the Rangers are trying to work through what their internal options may be before they before they go down that road. Um, all things considered, a month of the season, uh, the first month of the season is about finding out. The, the second month is about trying some internal options. And if things don't work out there, you're going to have to go out and, and address the closer situation. Um, the one thing that I do think stands out a little bit, Kevin, is that there are there do seem to be more teams that are identifiably roadkill, for lack of a better term, that would poten- be potential early season trade partners than in years past. Um, talk, looking at you, White Sox and Reds and and um, uh, the Royals. Uh, but I, I, I do think that, you know, as Chris said on his radio show yesterday, that to, to make a trade right now he still thinks would be potentially premature you're you're you'd be paying a premium because to act that quickly um and you haven't fully fleshed out what all your internal options may be 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if they have the internal options, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I I don't know if they do. You know, Jonathan Hernandez came in the last night, pitched the eighth. Um, he's the guy to me that has the most like the most closer like stuff on the staff. And he hit two guys in a one run game. Um, you know, and last night Will Smith was lights out in the ninth with with three swinging strikeouts. So it it, it is Right now, the, the the bullpen, the the back end of the bullpen for me is kind of a 50-50 proposition, and that just doesn't cut it. And so I think the Rangers are going to have to continue to try some things there. I keep wondering when they're going to go back to giving Joe Barlow an opportunity. He's pitched well in the minor leagues. I know that that the velocity is not quite what it was. Um, I think they've done a good job in the last week of taking Leclerc out of some high-leverage situations and gave him the opportunity against the Angels the other day to, to pitch in a low-leverage situation that, that may help him just get on track a little bit. But, yeah, I, I, I think this is, this is going to be the developing story of this year, is that the Rangers, how far the Rangers go, is going to be largely determined by what move they are willing to make for, for a, a back end of the bullpen pitcher. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything uh, internally. You know, I, I think they're, they're all guys that, who, have, who have done it, uh, but they have not done it for a good team, you know. Uh, they have. There's a difference between pitching with increased expectations, ramped up expectations for a contender, and then there is closing out for a bad team. Uh, I, I and I don't think that these guys uh, have the. I just don't know if they have the mental makeup for it. We can talk about what their mechanics are all we want to. It just doesn't feel like, except for Will Smith. I mean, obviously he's you know he's got the makeup for it. He just doesn't have the stuff. You know, uh, I'm sure that he's probably got the lightest fastball of any closer in, in the in the game. So, you know, you you, you need somebody with a, with, a, with some juice to do that. Somebody that has the confidence to do it. And uh, and they're going to have to go out and find that eventually. Uh, you, you can't put a uh, they don't have a kid that you can put in that role. I don't think Joe Barlow is that either. These are all guys that are candidates for, to be in the bullpen, of course, uh, and, for, and to have roles, uh, defined roles, you would hope. But uh, they're going to have to go out and find that. Well, that's the flip side of it, right, Kevin? Is if you can, if you can go out and find a guy at the back end to to close down games and start to start to back it up from there, then all of a sudden, if Jonathan Hernandez is your sixth inning guy or your seventh inning guy, as opposed to your eighth or ninth inning guy, maybe in maybe now you've got an almost invincible bullpen, right? If you've got Will Smith, where you can use him almost as a um, to finish out an inning against the left-handed hitter and not have to bring him back for for multiple hitters the next inning, um, you've almost got that kind of that left-handed specialist that 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 Bruce Bochy had before the rules changed in San Francisco. So, um, if they can, you know, if they, I, I've always maintained that a bullpen is is essentially a living and breathing organism uh, out there, and that it is. It is so dependent on on all the different pieces functioning. And if you can go and get a closer to plug at the back end of that bullpen, I think it's going to make everybody better. And so the, the improvement becomes almost exponential. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I don't rule out the, the, the need either for another uh, starter at this point. If you don't know what Jacob deGrom is going to do, I think uh, I was reading the ESPN power rankings the other day, and I don't always agree with what they have to say. It seems like they're always about two weeks late on the on the Rangers. Um, but uh, one of the things they said was that uh, 
Well, if you subtract Jacob DeGrom from this rotation, it looks pretty average. I think that's a little harsh myself. I think that's, uh, I think the way, certainly of all these pitching right now, and he has that track record. And Martin pitched very well last year, was a, an all-star pitcher. And, uh, and I think John Gray has the stuff to be a very good starter. And we'll see about Andrew Haney if he starts to get things uh, figured out a little bit. He's really struggled here this year uh, with something that he's never had a problem with, and that's throwing strikes. Uh, so we'll see if he can finally put some stuff together here. But I do think that that the, <clears throat> the Rangers have some uh, good pitching. It would really be good if they can add another guy. It'll be intriguing to me to see if Jacob is out, what Chris Young will do. If he feels like he has to make a Cliff Lee-type move, which to me was the finding – trade of the John Daniels era uh, was when he brought in Cliff Lee uh, to put the team over the hump uh, and into the World Series. I don't know if, if uh, Chris would feel it was necessary to do that or if he if he could just get somebody just to kind of, I don't want to say fill out the rotation. You can always find people to be a, a four or five. It's a little more difficult to get a, a, a two or three type pitcher, much less an ace. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see what develops along those lines. Uh, All right. I, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, All I can say is I agree. Kim. Okay. Well, I like it when you say that. That's good. Uh, try to remember that. Uh, okay. That's going to do it for the uh, Rangers segment of our podcast. Uh, we're going to move over now and talk about the Cowboys a little bit. Uh, there was some concern, uh, David Moore, last week expressed by people that, Micah Parsons was going to work out in Austin um, and not uh, in the area uh, and he's going to gain a little weight, try to get a little stronger so he can endure some of the punishment he's taking lining up on the defensive line, uh, which uh, two things, David, I'd like for you to, if you could kind of go over some of the things that's, that's happened to Micah Parsons as he's tried to do that on some of the, the little nicks and injuries and things he's had to deal with. Um, and how much he is actually lining up at defensive end instead of linebacker. And if that's any big deal that we should be concerned that he's not working out at the star. Well, several things there. I mean, he's, he's working out, he's working out on his own. And, and to me, this, this is interesting. Uh, most of the Cowboys, they, they call them their uh, captain sessions. Uh, the, the players don't have to work out as a group at the star at this phase, uh, by and large, other than conditioning. Uh, but a lot of them, and they've done this for years, will get together uh, as a group and kind of break down into position groups on their own without the coaches out there who aren't allowed to be out there for another two weeks, I believe, uh, 10 days, I guess. And so um, the vast majority of the team is working out at the star. Uh, Micah Parsons has chosen not to do that at this stage. Uh, he's working out on his own in Austin, uh, adding some weight, uh, doing a lot with his hands, uh, the, the hand fighting aspect of playing that position. And, um, you know, it's interesting because he's a Micah Parsons is a little bit more of a free spirit, I think, than a lot of a lot of his teammates but he's still doing it within the construct of the team. And this isn't mandatory, so the coaching staff is not going to make a big deal out of it. Uh, would they prefer him to be working out with his teammates? Yes, but as long as he's working out and he's committed to his teammates and he is a good teammate, which he is, um, this is one of those things where I think you make a little bit of latitude 
for a, a great player. And that's what the coaching staff is doing here. They're not making a big deal out of it. Uh, I don't get the sense there's any sort of subtle pressure to say, hey, I would really prefer you to be here. Now, I think they recognize that, that you know, Micah's just built a little bit different and they want to give him some uh, latitude to express himself and do things his way within the framework of the team. And, and I think all, you know, I think all teams with, with great players all do that. Uh, how often have we been talking about the, the Mavericks doing that with Luka Doncic? Um, you know, there's always that element in there to some extent um, th- that certain performers get a little bit of latitude uh, that, that maybe others uh, who aren't as good do not. So uh, he is putting on weight. So, so to me, the fact he's working out away from his teammates was really the more interesting thing. Uh, I know a lot of people seem to think it was a revelation that he, him saying that, oh, I'm going to add some muscle and some weight here, about five pounds or more, um, because, you know, I'll, I'll be lining up at defensive end even more. Uh, it's basically going to, uh, you know, uh, that's where my primary position will be. And, and a lot of people treat that as a revelation. But if you look at a snap count from last year, about 75 to 80 percent of the time he lined up as a pass rusher. And while he still plays a hybrid position at linebacker and defensive end and can do both, um, he has such a unique ability to get to the quarterback, and that's such a premium in today's game. You can see how the usage tilts him even more to the defensive line uh, than maybe what a lot of people envision, certainly when his career began just two short years ago. So... Um, to me, this is no different than what he's had in past years. And, and, you know, Micah Parsons, you know, he really enjoys what celebrity brings and he enjoys his off season doing different things. Uh, um, you know, you, you've seen that he was, uh, uh, he was at the, uh, uh, Boston Philadelphia game in the Eastern conference, uh, semifinals, uh, this past week sitting courtside, uh, he likes to go out and, and do different events, um, and, and he has a, you know, basically he's taken over the softball game that Dirk Nowitzki used to have here in Dallas uh, that will come up in June. So uh, he likes, he's very social, he like, gets out and being active, but uh, he's found a pretty good mix, I think, for him to still stay disciplined and do the work that he needs uh, while also fully enjoying his offseason. You know, David, I, I I know how a lot of fans feel when uh, a young, great player is uh, very vocal uh, about personnel moves. When Micah came out and talked about uh, how much he wanted the Cowboys to get OBJ, uh, when he came out and said that he wanted them to draft Mozzie Smith, um, and then now when he says that, yeah, I'm going to kind of work out on my own here. There, there's always a concern that is this guy going off the rails a little bit here? Should we be concerned about this uh, or not? My limited exposure to Micah has been that uh, he's a very bright guy. Obviously, the Cowboys' best player, without question. Uh, very dedicated to his craft. Uh, very accountable. Uh, I, I don't. I just don't see any concerns really with with any of this, at least right now. Do you? Not at the moment, no, because he's handling it well. Because I, I think he's he's very, you know, spoke to this some last year about it, about how he really enjoys and relishes the offseason. 
you see him take part in a lot of different activities. Uh, you know, last year he was drop, dropping the puck at hockey games. He was doing this. He was doing that. Uh, this year you saw probably saw some uh, saw him courtside at the uh, Boston Philadelphia uh, series in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so he likes to get out and, and do things and enjoy himself. But as he said last year, he's very cognizant of the fact that if he begins to decline as a player and his performance on the field, that's not those opportunities aren't going to be there. So at least to this stage, he has a, a good understanding of these are the perks because of all the hard work I, I put in. And he doesn't allow that to obscure him putting in the hard work. And, you know, he, he is practicing away from the team. Ideally, I think the coaching staff would prefer to have him there. But as long as he is working, um, which, which he is, they're getting reports on that, um, you know, they also want to give him some latitude to express himself and train himself the way he feels he needs to go about it. Uh, and you know, he, he's a little bit more of a free spirit than, than some other players. And it's not unusual for an elite athlete to be a little bit of a free spirit and approach the game differently. And, you know, I think, and a, I think a team, a, a fan base, and the athlete are always trying to find that or, or, or straddle, straddle those lines and find that balance to where it gets across. He's still serious about what it is he's doing, but he can do it his own way a little bit within the framework of the team. And I think there's been a, a good understanding on all sides uh, to this point in his career. Now, all that being said, when you do that, I think it's something you always have to be aware of, right? Uh, you always have to make sure um, that that the outside opportunities aren't infringing on the work that needs to be put in for your ca- career to continue to, um, you know, accelerate. So, to this point, it, it, it's not a concern, and, and everyone seems to be handling it well, especially Micah. Yeah, my one concern for Micah Parsons would be, uh, I think he's very dedicated to his craft. I think he he wants to be great. He, he knows what it takes to be great, and he's doing all those things. My concern for him would be that he's not a big guy to be playing uh, on the defensive line, uh, and he has an elite skill set. He is really quick and really fast, uh, and those – Quick and fast guys uh, can lose that. And, and you know, if he's not having to rely on his strength as much. And he is a very strong guy, too. I mean, I get all that. But he's kind of a Porsche down there playing in the trenches. And and that's a little bit of a concern for me. You know, they, they have talked about how, well, we'd like to mix things up and keep people guessing. And, and I think that, that's a very good thing, too. But I think that they also got to think about it. But we also need to preserve this guy a little bit. You know, I always go back to uh, what Tom Landry did for Tony Dorsett, right? Uh, Tony always yeah. wanted to carry the ball more. And uh, and Tom Landry's feeling was that, well, you're not a really big guy. You're really fast. And uh, I would like to preserve that as long as possible. Uh, that was one of the rare occasions in football where a, a coach was looking out for the best interests of a player. Of course, that's the best interest of the Cowboys as well, that Tony Dorsett's speed and, and elusiveness was preserved. But I, I think the Cowboys need to look at Micah Parsons a little bit the same way. And they need to do as much as they can to keep beefing up that pass rush, in which they are doing that. They're adding pieces all the time so that they can, you know, not rely on him 
quite as much as they have, and it, which is you know the longer he plays in the league, the more he's rushing the passer. Well, and I think you that that goes to. I think we touched on this, uh, you know, last week, maybe the week before. Uh, all these years, we've talked about the offense being Romo friendly and now Dak friendly. Uh, I, I think this defense is built to be Micah friendly. That's why they went out and got Mozzie Smith in the first round to to consume some double teams to give. Uh, Micah Parsons a little bit more space when he does rush the quarterback. Uh, that's why they went with a linebacker in the third round uh, to, to maybe spot him and, and, and move some things around uh, and, and keep people guessing. So um, they're doing that. It, it's going to be tough, though, because he's just so effective as a pass rusher. I think sometimes during the course of a game, you're going to use him there more than you want to. But remember back to last season, he made some outstanding plays sideline to sideline as a linebacker. Uh, that when he's when he wasn't playing there as much, you didn't see those plays. So it, it's always uh, it's it's always going to be a, a push and pull within a game where he winds up. But you're right, and you look at his production last year, uh, and, and this happens with undersized, even the elite players at any position. It wasn't what it was late in the year that it was early in the year. Uh, and you can, I, I think, and he mentioned it, that some of that was him getting worn down late in the year because it was just so physically punishing down in there. Uh, so you needed to take remove him from that and, and put him in space a little bit more. Uh, but, but this whole defense is built around him, uh, the hybrid role he plays. And I, I still believe there are going to be some games where you see him at linebacker more than you do in other games. It's just how are they going to do that and, and keep him fresh? And, and and very quickly, it's funny, as we were doing this podcast, I was monitoring on, on social media because you have to be ADD in today's world and uh, just saw some uh, footage released from him working out in Austin. And he's down there with uh, – uh, today he's working out with uh, uh, Deuce Vaughn, the Cowboys' sixth-round pick, and Cincinnati receiver Jamar Chase. Uh, they were all part of these – uh, lateral drills or lateral cone drills where you'll do, uh, you know, a shuttle, come back, then go farther. Uh, Micah Parsons finished first in that on, <laughs> on the on the lateral stride with Jamar Chase and uh, Deuce Vaughn. So so the guy uh, is just a, an athletic freak. He really is. Yeah, he is. And they need to keep him healthy and happy as long as possible. All right. Uh, we're going to move over now from our Cowboys segment over to our potpourri, ever popular segment. Uh, we're going to mix in a couple of little things here. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about uh, is the Nelson this week. Uh, we're going to, uh, and of course, it's supposed to rain all week, so that that must mean it's the Nelson. So it is uh, Nelson week, yes. Yeah, that's how we know. That's what I think Dale Hansen said that one time. Uh, if ever we're in a drought, uh, we just need to schedule the Nelson. And then uh, that will take care of it, uh, and everything will be just fine. Um, uh, Jordan Speed is out, the bad wrist. That's too bad. That's, that won't uh, do the Nelson any good. Uh, Scotty Sheffer will be out there, though, so there, there'll still be a big hitter. Will Zalatoris, of course, is out uh, with a, a back injury. Uh, so the Dallas's big three uh, golfers, only one will actually be there, but Scotty Sheffer's pretty good still. So it'll be good to see him out there this week. Uh, I will not get to be – uh, at the, the Nelson, I'll have to go out to Seattle. Uh, I, I, I assume that that means if it, if it makes it to a game six, uh, the stars didn't look like they were going to 
make it at all uh, after losing uh, the other night to Seattle, uh, in Seattle, uh, in a game in which Merrill Heskinen went out uh, with a a puck to the face, uh, and afterwards that that puck got shot into the goal, uh, so which was really ugly to watch that kind of thing happen, and, and even uglier to watch the stars fall apart in the aftermath of that. Uh, we'll see if they're able to bounce back. They they've shown that they can in this series, but I don't. If Heskinen can't play, he's really uh, as as much as you can say that he's underrated. I mean, people here know how good he is, uh, but he. Uh, is one of the, the league's best defensemen, uh, a very critical part of what the Stars do. Jake Ottinger just fell apart uh, after he went out. I don't know how much of that was on him and how much that was on uh, the rest of the defense and uh, trying to make up for Heskinen's loss. Uh, he did not sustain a concussion in that uh, with that injury, which just seems kind of remarkable to me that that's, that can be the case, or at least he was not a con- concussion protocol. Uh, and so uh, – I, I don't know if he's going to be back now uh, for this uh, next game uh, as we're taping this on Tuesday uh, afternoon or Tuesday morning. Uh, so we'll, we'll see uh, what the Stars are able to do uh, without him if he's not able to come back this quickly. Um, but things are in jeopardy here. It seems like just constantly uh, with the, the Stars, the, the stop and go of this team is just a little much for for me, you know, I, I feel like this is a very talented team. Uh, and then all of a sudden now we're, we're seeing issues. Uh, they kind of got in the way all year with a goalie who, who started an inordinate amount of games. Uh, the rest of the league has pretty much gone to a, a two goalie format. Uh, the stars didn't really do that this year. I don't know that if he's getting a little worn down uh, at this point or not, but he's going to have to really snap back from a truly awful game uh, to, to let the star, uh, to let uh, the Kraken move up in this series, so we'll see what they do going forward. Well, Boys, again, you know, and after he appeared to hit his stride too, you know, he he was so dominant there uh, when he came back after uh, Dallas was down two one in that opening series. Uh, you kind of went, okay, he he's righted himself, he's back on track, and normally when a goalie is hot like this, he keeps it going. Uh, that that was not the case, certainly, in this last game. And, and the Stars find themselves where they did in the first series, down 2-1, uh, now on the road, and, uh, you know, having to respond in this game. And the their history is this year, and Ottinger's pattern is, uh, they have done that uh, time and time again. His, his record is outstanding coming back uh, off of a loss this year. So uh, they're, they're in a position where that happens again. But you're right about Miro. You know, there, there, are, there are certain players in every sport who their value to the team goes well beyond what the statistics say. And, and it, they really bring a balance to the team, uh, you know. And, and that's what Miro does on this team, just the balance between offense and defense and the transition. And uh, boy, to have it have such an immediate impact when he went out. Uh, was just really glaring. Yeah, th- that's the thing about the the stars that uh, to me is just kind of interesting. If nothing else, I, I don't think most fans would, would consider it interesting. They would consider it uh, exasperating. Is that they've got everything you'd want? They've got they've got multiple good lines. They they their their penalty kill is really good. They're you know they're they're good on the power play. Uh, they're good in faceoffs uh, and they're good in goal. And so. 
all of that going for them, you would think, well, then this is a team that should, should be able to go all the way, right? And and they still could. Uh, but it, it just seems like it doesn't take a lot to knock this team off kilter, you know? Uh, we saw that in the first series uh, when the, the Wild came out and was physical with them and they were kind of lackadaisical and got off to a bad start and losing the first game at home. We saw the same thing happen in those with Seattle. Lost first game at home once again. Uh, and then they came back in game two, and uh, they play with a real sense of urgency. You, you saw that from the puck drop. You know, it was they were it was a different team and and played really hard. And they and they had twice as many uh, shots on goal as the Kraken in the, in game two. And the, and this is the way they should be playing, right? But they just don't seem to have that kind of push to them. You know, I and I I don't know what to to ascribe that to. Uh, I I just feel a little bit sometimes it's you know the captain Jamie Ben. Uh, certainly a very tough player and has been a very good player for the Stars, but extremely low-key guy. Uh, and I think sometimes when you have that kind of leadership, uh, maybe, you know, you're going to have a little struggle occasionally to to uh, get everybody on board. You know, that's why Joe Pavelski has been so important to this team. Uh, and frankly, I got to tell you, I, I love the story of Joe Pavelski and Wyatt Johnston. The fact that you know, nineteen-year-old Wyatt Johnston is living with the Pavelskis. You know what? A, what a great story that is about how he's done that all year, and you know they sit up and they talk about you know, you know the games and stuff on the couch, and, and they're just hanging out together. You know, and it's not you know we've had lots of athletes that live together, right? But they're the same age. You know, uh, yeah. Joe Pavelski is old enough to be his dad. Uh, and so, uh, and he's living with the family. He's not living in a, you know, in a, they're not living together in an apartment or a condo, two single guys. This is a guy with a family taking in this 19 year old kid. I, you know, I think that's one of the great things about hockey. I, you, you don't see that kind of things happening in, in other sports. No. And, and, you know, to your point about that, their style, it, it's interesting. Teams take on a different personality every year. And, and a lot of that is the personality of their key players. And, uh, the, the way these first two series have unfolded, um, while while the Stars do have a particular style and are very good at it, as, as evidenced by their the regular season and, and the fact that they're still playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, they're not really the sort of team that imposes their will, right? I mean, both of these first two series have shown us that they – okay, let's get the footing. Let's see how this series is going to be played. And and you saw them respond in Minnesota uh, to how the games were being played. Um, you know, Seattle, much different style, you know, faster, uh, a lot quicker, uh, not nearly as physical as Minnesota. And you, and you kind of get the sense that Dallas is still adapting uh, to the different style that Seattle has is, is hit them with in this series versus what they faced in the first round against Minnesota and, and game four tonight will tell, I think, you know, whether or not they have adapted and now they're able to incorporate that into their style as they go forward, or they're still going to be chasing Seattle here. Well, that's really important. You know, one of the things that, that uh, Seattle does is they, they don't really rely on any particular uh, player. They get, they get scoring from everywhere. And I guess the stars have struggled with that. Uh, and uh, let's face it, you get down three to one, uh, it's over. I don't see this team uh, uh, snapping back and winning three straight at that point. Uh, I don't know if they have the, the mental resolve to do that. You, you, you simply can't do this. So this is a must win, obviously, to get it back square at 2-2 uh, as we're taping this on Tuesday morning. 
All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank you for tuning in with us. Uh, we'll be back next week to, feel, to find out where the stars are, uh, of course, and what the, the Rangers are doing and if uh, Micah Parsons is going to blow up to 280 pounds uh, and become a defensive tackle. Maybe maybe that's what's next in, in Micah Parsons' progression. We'll see. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Spoken Layer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.